0: say Brady was the kind of guy that just wanted to kill people, but at the same time, I think he just kind of wanted to kill people. I know all of this that's going on, it's like, from the front it looks bad, but there's always more behind it, so I hope it all gets exposed for everything it is. He said he wished he could go back in time to an era in time where he can just kill people with his bare hands.
1: Well, hello, Oddballs. It's your host, Bobby.
0: And your co host, Lexi.
1: And this is Oddities, Oddities on, on Elm Street. Street. Thank you all for joining us for episode 32. Are you sure? Oh, God! <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I don't mean to do
0: this to you. <sighs>
1: I'm almost positive, because, you know what? I'm pretty sure I went and looked today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. I'll yep. See you
1: yep. Yep. 32 it is, ma'am.
0: 33. I said 33. I don't know why I have 33 <laughs> on my mind. 32. <laughs> there you go.
1: That's that's the right one. Um. Well, we have a lot of things in the works Still need to film our mini-episode, but we can <laughs> probably do that this weekend.
0: Just don't <laughs> fucking procrastinate. We've got all the procrastination out.
1: I know, and the thing is, too, is, like, I don't even need to write anything for that. It's, like, it's all up here.
0: <laughs> you know what I mean?
1: Like, um, just need to use my noggin. Um But... I wanted to talk about the little game we were playing over the weekend. Oh, my God. So, I was out of town for my birthday, right? So, we made a deal to celebrate my birthday together this weekend. Well, this past weekend.
0: Yeah, because the following weekend was Bowie's birthday.
1: And Father's Day.
0: And, right. So. Yeah. We just pushed it one more.
1: Yeah, yeah. So... We started playing um, this game from Hunt a Killer, and it's it's Blair Witch themed. And I'm anyone who knows me knows I'm obsessed with the Blair Witch. I love it, and it was so much fun. It was really cool. Like it was, it was. super. Like I mean, you even left to go get pizza for some time, and I was there was a point where I was on the
0: toilet with the script. <laughs>
1: reading the interviews like oh my god it's really cool you have to like decode stuff and you like use a little black light to see like hidden things it's so cool it took
0: us forever and there was, it did it was, but like, I, there one wasn't of six box
1: but there wasn't a single moment that i didn't enjoy
0: exactly it was honest it was to god a great, it was a great night
1: it really was
0: even like Turning the lights off and on, trying to read the, <laughs> to read the code and I the know. black light.
1: It was so fun though, and I like literally went to bed, and it's all I could think about was like,
0: "I know exactly,
1: like what's gonna happen." <laughs> <laughs> um. So they yeah they sent us a copy of that. We played it. We well, we started well we're it. playing it because we gotta finish it. But
0: hunter killer.
1: It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, so a big thank you to them for sending that out to us. Yeah. And if you're into stuff like that, you should go check them out.
0: Yeah. Um, depending on how many people you have, like the the Blair Witch, that's like six stinking yeah. boxes. Mm-hmm. I mean.
1: Well, and the thing is, too, is it was just the two of us. If we would have had more people. We could have probably nah. solved it quicker.
0: Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> depends on who. Yeah, but you know what I mean?
1: I like, don't... you could each take <laughs> on a piece of evidence and, like, right. search well, through that's it. that's what I
0: was and... saying. Like, depends on how many people. But...
1: If you have one person, like, decoding while another person is, like, looking at the map and tracking the steps and stuff like I don't know. Yeah. But, but...
0: it's, uh... You get a lot of time out of it. Yeah, you do.
1: So, um, but I like that. I like that it's mm-hmm. like an ongoing thing, too, because I think that's even more fun, I feel in like, my opinion. Right,
0: and I feel like for the cost of it and the amount of time...
1: It's a whole experience and a, a really great one of that. It's going to be
0: probably six long nights for us.
1: Yeah. <laughs> We're gonna be here six months later, like we finally figured it out. <laughs> Come on. Um, I'll link their website in the podcast description just in case people want to go check out what they have.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, it's not this isn't like sponsored or anything. I really just think that our audience would like their stuff. So let's do our morbid tidbit. So this week, I discovered something called. Anesthesia awareness.
0: Mm, mm, mm. <sighs> nope.
1: It's just as awful as it sounds. And yeah. what it is, it's where for some people that go into surgery, if they don't get enough anesthesia, it will look like you're asleep. But you ain't. But you can still hear and feel everything that's being done to you. So say you've been put under for a major surgery and they put the needle in your arm and you start to feel sleepy but you never fully become unaware you're still awake you still have feeling but the worst part is you can't move you're unable to speak or scream or open your eyes even it's like a, so,
0: it's like a off brand um sleep paralysis yeah except you're
1: but the pain you're is real <laughs> and not imaginary.
0: I, yeah.
1: So, yeah, so pretty much no one, like nurses, doctors, surgeons, whatever, no one will know that you can feel everything. Uh, and you're just stuck there, paralyzed and forced to endure it. So.
0: It's fairly rare. Yeah. Oh, right.
1: Yeah.
0: I don't remember where I read about it.
1: There but. was a horror movie based on. Uh something like that, but I think it was actually like an autopsy type scenario. Human N- No. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um That's definitely a fear of mine. I've also worried about that with like I've heard that um during childbirth with the epidural mm-hmm. sometimes it, it doesn't work for everyone. Um or like say it wears off by the time you're actually ready to push. I, I will not, I would not survive the times before (laughs) painkillers or anesthesia.
0: Modern medicine.
1: I can't imagine what those poor people had to. I feel like more people probably died because of shock from the pain
0: I mean, I I have no idea. I can only (laughs) imagine, right? But it looks horrifying. Yeah. Yeah. It looks absolutely horrifying.
1: I I know, but when I was thinking about that, I was thinking about some of the things that we saw in the torture museum. Just about how people back before modern medicine, like, just had to deal with pain. Like, how do you even do that? I don't know.
0: You're just fucked.
1: Anyway. All right. (laughs) (laughs) So, for our topic today, we're going to cover the case of Brooke Slocum and Charles Openear. It's a case that's super local to us. I know I stayed up to date with as it was happening. It was definitely, like, one of the more shocking things that took place in our community. It's incredibly gruesome, so just a fair warning for that. Truly. Yeah. Um, It's really unfortunate, too, because there will never really truly be justice in this case. Right. Um, But I feel like it's still important to talk about. I think Brooke's case can teach us a lot of things. And I actually haven't really ever seen coverage of this case from any other podcasts except there's like a hand. Maybe one. Yeah, maybe one. One or two. two. So let's get into it. During the early morning hours of July 13th, 2014, a couple flags down a cop car in Wyoming, Michigan to report a scary encounter. The couple had reportedly been sitting in their car listening to the rain at Gazan Park when they spotted someone peering in through the rear window. This person Was dressed in a hoodie and wore a creepy white mask. The couple, terrified, quickly drove off. After telling police about what had happened, they drove to Gazan Park to check it out themselves. While looking for the supposed Peeping Tom, they noticed an abandoned car. They took note of it, but after not finding anyone suspicious around, they left for the day. But when police returned three days later and noticed, that car still sitting in the same place, they decided to look into it. They found that the car was registered to a 25-year-old man named Charles Openair. Charlie was already twice a father with a previous partner, a relationship that was tumultuous to say the least. He was arrested for domestic violence against his then-girlfriend, who at the time was pregnant with their first child. And he was sentenced to 12 months of probation. They had an on-again, off-again relationship. And on one of their off periods, he met 17-year-old Brooke Slocum. Brooke was a compassionate and trusting teenager. I feel like at this age, most of us haven't seen so many terrible things. And so we kind of have this...
0: Well, it's hard to not ...naive nature.
1: Sense, yeah. Yeah. And... And that is a stage that I think most of us go through. Um, She just wanted to see the good in everyone. Mm -hmm. She wanted to believe that everyone had the best intentions because she had the best intentions. You know, she wanted to believe that everyone was kind and caring because she was kind and caring. So... It's no surprise that when she had previously been caught sneaking out of the house to meet an older man that she had met on the internet, her father said he believed this was an attempt on her part to prove to him that people aren't all that bad. Her father had warned her before of the dangers that could come with connecting with strangers over the internet, but Brooke had an unbreakable faith in humanity. Charlie and Brooke met at a local fair in the summer of 2013. At the time, Charlie was living in his car. Brooke had dropped out of her senior year at Saranac High School and moved to Grand Rapids to be with Charlie, and the two of them lived in Charlie's car together.
0: Yeah, um, i just take a second to reflect on that. She did not move into his apartment or home or whatever, Into his car.
1: Yeah. Their relationship was described as being volatile. Just like with Charlie's previous partner, him and Brooke were on again, off again, and he would go back and forth between the two women until Brooke fell pregnant. She was incredibly excited to be a mother, even at such a young age. She was due in late July, early August, and decided on the name Audie, for her baby girl. Audie Lynn. Mm-hmm. Now, we know she's excited, she's pregnant, there's a lot of changes taking place in her life right now, but obviously this is not an ideal situation for her to be in. She's just found out she's pregnant, she's living in a car, and it's winter here in Michigan, which means below freezing temperatures, And now they have faced a dilemma. They couldn't afford gas to keep their car running while they slept at night. And without the car on, they weren't able to stay warm with the heat. They thought about getting a motel room, but again, that would take money that they didn't have. Charlie, for a while now, had been struggling to keep a steady job, and Brooke is... (laughs) a pregnant teenager, so the two of them decide to post on Craigslist out of the hopes of making some quick cash. They make several different ads, with each one telling a bit of a different story, but the basics were always the same. That Brooke was essentially looking for men to have sex with in exchange for money. It was never stated explicitly that that is what Mm -hmm. was going to take place, but the people who are on Craigslist that have maybe had experiences like this already knew that this is what was being suggested. Mm -hmm. So when these men would reach out wanting to engage in sex with Brooke, Charlie would drive her to these meetups. And remember, she's 17 years old. So the couple was able to make enough money to stay in a warm motel so they would continue to renew the post anytime they needed to make some more money. And in December, a friend of the couple named Corey allowed them to move into his place, and another woman named Mackenzie had lived with him as well. These friends, Corey and Mackenzie, say that the Craigslist meetups weren't Brooks' choice. In fact, these friends and Brooke's family all believe that Brooke was being trafficked. Brooke's father told News Channel 3 that he suspected that his daughter was being exploited. And when Mackenzie was asked if Charlie was acting like a pimp, she said, quote, yeah, I do. I don't feel like she wanted to. I feel like she had to because Charlie was talking her into it, you know, for the money, end quote. So, Corey said that the Craigslist meets were happening before Brooke had even turned 18 years old, and when he was asked about the two's relationship, he said, quote, When Charlie was gone, she was a very sociable, very loving person. When Charlie came around, especially towards me, it was, Don't talk to him. Don't look at him. He was very controlling. End quote. So, pretty quickly, after... Brooke and Charlie move in with Corey. Brooke left Charlie and started making plans to move back in with her mom um, for when she had the baby. And obviously, her family was ecstatic about that. Mm -hmm. They really wanted her away from Charlie. But unfortunately, Brooke rekindled her relationship with Charlie just as quickly as it had ended. Now in early July, so just under a month until the baby were to arrive, the two of them were back together and again needed money. So now 18-year-old Brooke, who is 8 months pregnant, was yet again put in a situation where she would need to meet with strangers and have sex with them in exchange for money. On July 2nd, 2014, we can see a post go up on Craigslist from Brooke's account. It states, quote, I need $50 by 3.30 p.m. today. I can pay you back later tonight, but I need gas and some mess real quick. Everyone has bronchitis at my house and I do not want to get sick. I'm eight months pregnant and my lungs are all squished as it is. If you could help me and my daughter, we'll greatly appreciate it. End quote. I don't know, like, the context... Of all of that. I
0: don't think really anyone.
1: I don't, like, do you know what she's talking about with, like, I need some mess?
0: Well, I I feel like it would maybe be a typo of meds because okay. of the bronchitis. And, like, if she needs it by 3.30, that maybe is, like, the last, I don't know, like, time she can get med- I don't know. I mean, that's the only thing that makes a little bit of sense. Yeah. Instead of mess. That's what I was thinking,
1: too, is that it was possibly a typo. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I just wish we we knew more about that. So, this post goes up on July 2nd. And ten days later, Brooke receives a response from a user called Mike's Hard. Um... I'm just, I'm going to read the conversation between this user and Brooke's account. Mm -hmm. So when Mike's hard replies to this ad, he says, I can host. What are you thinking? Brooke responds. Um, well, we're looking for donations if possible, kind of in a tight spot. And we have a baby on the way. As far as the fun goes, there won't be any mail on mail action. Mike's hard replies saying, I can swing $120. I, I'd like to blank mm-hmm. in a park around 1130. 30. That okay?
0: That's not us taking it out. That's what we have to read from.
1: Right. I like not-
0: blanked it out.
1: Yeah. Um, and Brooke responds saying, Hmm, I don't know. I don't want to get in trouble for indecent exposure or anything. I can't go to jail being eight months pregnant. This Mike's hard user reassures her by saying, it's cop-free, it's a park, but behind it are lots of woods, no cops at all. They ultimately agree to meet at Gazan Park in Wyoming at midnight. So, let's go back to where we started. The couple that was in Gazan Park,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: when they were scared off by this man in a white mask, they flagged police down, and once police get to the park to see if they can find anything, they find Charlie's abandoned car. So at first, upon finding it, they left it there, figuring that it was probably just somebody using the trails, Mm -hmm. whatever. But when they returned a couple days later and saw that the car was still there, They ran the tags, they tried the door handle and found that the car was unlocked. And when they looked inside, they found various different items, including paperwork with both Brooke and Charlie's names on it. So after they ran the tags and found out that the car was registered to Charlie's name, officers decide the next day that they're going to go to the address under Charlie's name and make sure that he's okay. Mm -hmm. And while all of this is happening, um, the couple's friends, Corey and Mackenzie are continuously reaching out to them to make sure that they're all, you know, to also make sure that they're okay. Um, and when officers show up to the address under Charlie's name, it's his parents' house. Mm -hmm. The parents tell police that they haven't heard from their son in a while. But it's not incredibly unusual. They didn't have the best relationship. But they wouldn't see him in person very often. But it wasn't unlike him to not check in once in a while or at least be on social media, whatever.
0: Or respond at some
1: Exactly, point. exactly. Um, so once police explained to Charlie's parents that they had found his car abandoned in Gazan Park, They reported him missing. In order to investigate, police head back to the location where they found Charlie's abandoned car, and they start to search for Charlie and Brooke in the surrounding area. Um, This park has a big forested area, Mm -hmm. so as they're walking through the woods looking for any indication that the couple might have been there, They begin to notice the unmistakable smell of decomposition and they begin following this smell and they come across a few random items laying on the ground. Mm -hmm. A flip-flop, condom wrappers, a used condom, disposable gloves, and cigarette butts. They continue walking when they spot a dried pool of blood. As they looked around, they could see a set of drag marks leading further into the woods. And as they follow them, the drag marks suddenly come to an abrupt stop at a pile of logs. Upon looking underneath these logs, they make a gruesome discovery. They find the decapitated body of Charles Openair. Police bring in cadaver dogs, drones, they search on foot, but even with all of those efforts, Charlie's head is still missing. So now the panic to find Brooke begins. It's clear now that Mm -hmm. she's missing, and police begin their search at the only place they have to go off, which is Corey's house. Mm -hmm. They head back to that place because it was, you know, where they were known to be staying last, and they speak with Corey and Mackenzie. Corey and Mackenzie tell police that they actually haven't heard from them since July 12th. But they just assumed they were on some type of adventure, which I guess wasn't unusual for them. They told police what they knew, that Charlie and Brooke had left the apartment to meet up with a man that they had met on Craigslist. So investigators looked into it. They look at the computer and very quickly find the messages between this Craigslist user, Mike's Hard, and Brooke. So investigators now have a lead. But the next problem they are faced with would be to discover the real identity behind this mysterious Craigslist user. It would take a day before they could uncover that information at around 4.45 on July 17th, um, which we later find out that in Brooks' case, every minute counts. Yeah. So, what they find on the Craigslist account is a Gmail that leads them to a phone number registered to a 31-year-old man named... Brady Ostrike. Brady was a Grand Rapids resident, and only 15 minutes after they figured out his identity, police are already checking out his house. Mm -hmm. When they arrive at Brady's registered address, they thought the house was vacant.
0: Because it looked so disheveled.
1: Yeah, the grass was overgrown. There was mail piling up. It just didn't look like a place that someone was actively living in. Mm Right. Um, so they stuck around to run surveillance on the property while police back at the station are preparing the necessary warrants. Right. At around 8.30 p.m. the same day, the prosecution comes back with the determination that they don't believe there's enough evidence to issue an arrest warrant for Brady, but they said they did believe they had enough to get a warrant to search his house. hmm While awaiting a judge's signature on the search warrant, the tactical team is already preparing themselves, and they knew that like Brady was an avid gun owner, and so they're preparing themselves for the worst-case scenario. But before the tactical team can arrive at Brady's house, the team that's running surveillance spots Brady's yellow Chevy Cobalt backing out of the driveway. The officers attempt to pull him over, but he fled, and a chase ensued. Um, He didn't get very far, though, before crashing his car on the overpass near the northbound 131 entrance ramp. Officers began moving in on Brady's car when they hear a single gunshot coming from inside the vehicle. Before he could be apprehended, Brady had shot and killed himself. Upon looking in Brady's trunk, officers find a large suitcase. Inside was 18-year-old Brooke Slocum's body. She had a ligature mark around her neck, and they believe that she was strangled at some point throughout the day. And unfortunately, her little baby girl, Audie, was also deceased. It's so frustrating, though, because it... You know, I understand there has to be a process... We can't just, like, go into people's properties and whatever. Yes. But it could have saved her life if they had intervened sooner.
0: Right. And that... Exactly. That's the part where... It's so frustrating. It's... You can't not have rules and regulations around it. Right. But then also it's, like, at what cost? Yeah. I don't know. Well, and they...
1: What they think happened is that Brady had, um, had heard that officers found Charlie's body, mm-hmm. and knew that the gig was up, and so he strangled Brooke. Um, but it's like, did he do that while they're waiting out there? Oh you God. know, like, uh, I just, uh, how, God, how fucked up. yeah. So, um officers search the rest of his vehicle and they find a shovel, a rope, tarp, and a knife with the name Tina etched into it. Police return to Brady's home to try to get an understanding of what exactly happened, what type of person he is, mm-hmm. and what they find inside shocks them even more. Investigators take 3 full days to complete their search of his house. And after it was all said and done, they had removed more than 400 items, including firearms, ammunition, knives, tasers, handcuffs, a cattle prod, a sex slave contract, suitcases filled with women's clothing and jewelry, personal belongings of the victims, and a white face mask. In the basement, they discover a torture chamber that Brady had set up himself, complete with chains, dog collars, and dog kennels. There was a sippy cup on the floor of one room with a pacifier laid out next to a sex toy. In a bathroom, adult diapers were spilling out of the trash can. Uh, Additionally, they found a receipt from the afternoon of July 13th, which was the day after Brooke was abducted. Uh And the receipt showed a purchase of a shackle lock for $22.99. There was also a map of the U.S. hung up on the wall with a bunch of push pins in it. Four of those pins were in the local area of West Michigan. And upon that discovery, the FBI was called in to help with the investigation they obviously are imagining, worst-case scenario, this guy is a serial killer, and this is where his victims are. Who knows? But according to a past girlfriend, Brady told her that the pins represented the location, the locations where he had stored food and supplies
0: okay, but in like-
1: the event of an apoc- apocalypse. So, like, I guess he was a prepper, but I do wonder... Did they look into it further or right, did just they just like, take their take, word?
0: Take Tina's word and like, like oh that, yeah, that um,
1: makes sense.
0: That is fine. <sighs> we'll all get on here.
1: I just wonder. I, I wonder about that. I don't know.
0: It reminds me of Robert Hansen.
1: Yeah. Because he, he had the map with the X's on it. Mm-hmm. The uh, guy in Alaska, right? The pilot. Yes. Yeah. Fucking gnarly-ass dude. So, um, police, as they're looking around, can see multiple, uh, surveillance cameras mounted throughout Brady's home, and so they knew they had to get their hands on these tapes. The footage shows Brady holding Brooke captive for five days. It shows the countless assaults and the- the torture that she endured, um... The video goes all the way back to July 5th, which is a week before Brady had met them in person. Mm -hmm. And on that day, he's seen setting up his torture chamber um, by, like, hanging ropes from the ceiling. He's holding a whip in his hand. And at one point, he walks by with a chain and padlock and then can later be seen laying out women's lingerie. He set up the pulley system that Brooke would be hung from. They also watched the footage from July 12th, the night that Brady met Charlie and Brooke at the park. Mm -hmm. So around 11 p.m., he can be seen walking around the basement in the bathroom before leaving. He's also seen putting a long knife up his sleeve and another knife on the side of his pants. The next time that Brady appears on this footage is hours later, and with him is Brooke. Charlie's nowhere to be seen, which we know now. I mean, that's good information to have because police know then, okay, he was killed at the park upon meeting Mm -hmm. Brady and wasn't killed and then dumped where he was found. Right. So in this footage on, what did I say, July 12th, Mm -hmm. Brady is leading Brooke into his home. She's seen with a black eye and her hands cuffed behind her back. Police watch in horror as they see Brady lead Brooke into this torture chamber, chain her to the floor, and link her hands to the police system. And she's pulled up so high that she's forced to stand on her tippy toes. And that's when the assaults and torture begins on this eight-month pregnant teenager. Um, Brady even calls into work the next day and tells him he's not coming in. And the torture continued for five days. The search throughout Brady's house continues, and besides the surveillance video, they find a DVD. On it is Brooke speaking to the camera on day three of her captivity. Brooke is saying that her and Brady agreed the week prior to meet up so that she could have a true abduction type of experience. She said that the plan was that Brady would abduct her and hold her for ransom and that Charlie would come and save her and pay the ransom with Monopoly money. She continued saying that she was supposed to stay with Brady for a week, but she had started having contractions so they were going to have to end this quote-unquote experience early. This honestly, though, it makes me wonder if at some point he was thinking about letting her go. Because obviously this poor girl is begging for her life and she's probably saying, I won't tell anyone or I'll, I'll tell everyone that this was my idea and that I was a willing participant.
0: I feel like he doesn't give a fuck, and I feel like, in my opinion, I feel like he was just trying to get any type of insurance that that he can. I just don't see him as a kind of person who has any compassion. I mean, he just fucking decapitated the father as much as I want to think that that was... On his mind of possibly letting her go. I just don't see it. I think he's just. And and if it was like that. Why not just send her out when the cops. Show up. She was already done. Well. She was obviously already prepared to kill himself. When he found out that they found Charlie. Why not let her go and kill himself then. If that was really...
1: I know. That's... That is... <sighs> that is what makes me angry, is the fact that...
0: He could have let her live.
1: He could have let her live and just, and just killed himself. Yeah. But that makes me think he, he really thought that maybe he could get away with it, you know?
0: Yeah. Like, the slight... The... 0.01% chance that he could get away with it is worth more to him than yeah. this pregnant teenager's life.
1: Well, and even his own life.
0: You're right. It, it's just...
1: Like, it's just senseless. That right. didn't need to happen like that at all.
0: Absolutely not. And, like, going back to the friend's quote, he just wants to kill people.
1: Yeah, but it's weird, though, because when they interviewed... Um, I don't remember who it was, but they interviewed someone else that had a relationship with him. They were shocked, and they were like, He's like a big teddy bear. I can't imagine him.
0: Tina said that he was a big teddy bear. And yeah. They were engaged at one point. hmm
1: mm-hmm.
0: And she, that's what I heard is that she was shocked because, yes, quote, he's a big teddy bear.
1: Yeah. <sighs> I don't know. just shows you you really don't ever know a person, and that is terrifying. Yeah. Um, so, police conclude their search of Brady's home. What they don't find in their search is Charlie's head. Um, they continue to look into Brady's past. He grew up with a blended family, went back and forth between private and public school, he even done mission work with his church, After graduating, he became a lineman for a local utility company, which kind of allowed him to be on the road a lot and travel all over the state and sometimes even out of state. That's probably where all the pushpins come from. He's probably like stopping off at these places and doing who knows what.
0: I keep coming back to, um, what is up with the suitcases full of women's clothing? Mm
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, where did that Um, come from? Then what's the deal with it?
0: And all the, the pacifiers and shit. Like,
1: I don't know. That's why I'm saying. It. Did they ever look into it? I don't know. Right, and but like they how just...
0: far, or did Tina just like get them to back off? I don't know.
1: It... I would hope they would at least look into the ones in West Michigan. There's four, four push pins, right? In his neighborhood, right? Why not just go and check it out?
0: Yeah, you know? or just like take a gander at, uh, you know, um, if the police have records of deceased,
1: missing people, or yeah, people that have been found. found, and yeah, yeah. <sighs> I don't know.
0: I like. Can someone just like talk to his boss? And ask where he's been sent and then maybe just tell us that that's why and that's
1: what lines up with right yeah
0: okay it makes sense I know. He, he says these are the places that he was sent mm-hmm. to do his job great i'd be satisfied
1: yeah think about the fact that like mm, i don't even want to say it oh my God, tell me. well it's like if if he's he's traveling to all these different places and he's obviously very involved with meeting people on Craigslist.
0: hmm
1: Who's not to say that he's done this before in other places, and what happens if you go out into the woods and you find a trap door and there's somebody that's still chained up down there waiting for him to come back and kill him?
0: Oh, my God. It's like you.
1: Yeah. <sighs> but who's to say, you know? like. That's why I'm saying it. I think it's important to look into it. So they also learned that in the early 2000s, Brady had been engaged to a Canadian woman named Tina.
0: With the knife.
1: Yeah. Um, they met at some type of Christian...
0: I was, I was looking and reading their website earlier.
1: Was it a school,
0: yeah. you said? Um, Montana Wilderness School of the Bible.
1: So the two of them had a long distance relationship. He spent like $30,000 on an engagement ring. He proposed. They were set to get married in 2008. But then a month before their wedding date, they split up. And the story, I mean...
0: Like, they were both feeling
1: Well, it depends on who you ask. Because according to Tina, yeah, it was amicable. But I guess Brady had told some of his friends that Tina up and left him after stealing all of his money and taking money out of his 401k, blah, blah,
0: blah. How does one go about that if you're not even married?
1: I don't even think it's possible. I guess his behavior after this turned dark. I think it probably already was before this. I don't want to blame this breakup for his behavior because... Before this he actually had roommates that had moved out because he was like peeing in bottles and like leaving it around the house because he was too busy gaming. And
0: refusing to shower.
1: Yeah, so it's clear that he's had some issues. Yeah, like Um,
0: he is gross. He's to the worst level. Right. And that's where I think that um that's what I thought about when you mentioned the adult diapers. Like is he just like That's what I think. He's just literally so, so disgusting, lazy and he's like yes. so into the torture that he doesn't even want to take. a Or into break.
1: gaming. That's what I think. Like, honest to God, like.
0: Well, I mean, I would hope. I don't know how many days worth, but like, God, I don't know. It's um, just so icky.
1: Yeah, he's like Willy Pickton level. You do not want to aspire to be like Willie Picton.
0: Absolutely not.
1: Um, but according to people who knew him, this split with his fiance caused him to become more uh, suicidal and to open up about his desire to be homicidal. A former roommate of Brady's recalls a disturbing conversation they had that forced her to move out as well. She said... Quote, he told me he was having thoughts about killing me and he was warning me. He's like, these thoughts are happening to me. End quote. Um, Things from there just got worse. He begins scrolling through Craigslist to engage in conversation with random women. One of the women he was speaking to was a woman named Melissa. Brady had connected with her in 2014, the same year of this whole case Mm -hmm. and melissa according to her they had been messaging on craigslist agreed to meet in person brady picked her up and requested something from her he wanted to put her in a suitcase in the trunk of his car
0: like what is that whole deal with him what is it with these suitcases man is it just, like, I don't know. absolute control? It,
1: it must be, like, some type of fetish, I'd imagine. Um, so, yeah, Melissa thinks, okay, this is just some Kink. kinky type mm-hmm. thing. She agrees to do it. And when they arrived at his house, he sprayed her in the face with appliance air duster, mm-hmm. which made her lightheaded. And then he asks her if she wanted to be his sex slave. She said yes, and she signed a sex that sex slave, slave contract.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And after that, he did many of the things that police watch, watched him do to Brooke mm-hmm. on that surveillance footage that they found. Um, she said that she was kept in a small dog kennel. Uh, and, like, all of this began as a consensual thing. But then as time went on, it escalated, and uh, I guess they had an argument, and as a result of that, Brady whipped her a hundred times with a leather belt. He also tased her for 20 seconds. Um, Thankfully for her, she was able to escape and call 911, but then uh, refused to press charges because she felt that since she had been a willing participant
0: she at first, the contract. right, right. Like how fuck does that? Yeah. I feel like that is why he made Brooke do that video.
1: You're probably right. What's also really disturbing <laughs> is the fact that uh, Brooke wasn't the only woman on Craigslist that he was corresponding with. Yeah, there was a woman from Las Vegas that he was gonna fly to Michigan. Just days, like, she was scheduled to fly in days after Brooke's murder.
0: Yeah. Like, I cannot (sighs) imagine being that woman.
1: Uh, Oh, my God. Like. How scary.
0: It's terrifying.
1: So, after two years and a lot of. Time attempting to understand Brady's motive. Um, the case is closed. And then, five years later, after it's happened mm. on March 26, 2019, a person looking for deer antlers in the woods stumbled upon a skull in Alpine Township.
0: Yeah, like Six Mile in Kennewa.
1: Yeah. And according to investigators, signs of trauma to the skull indicate death by gunshot to the head. And dental records showed that the skull belonged to Charlie Opener. So finally, after all of these years, Charles's remains were complete. His head was twenty miles from where his body was found. So now it's known that Charlie was most likely dead before he was decapitated. I've, I found this article that's talking about how Brady's house was just sold yeah. or it was up for sale back in 2015, yeah. the year after it happened, a year after, for 1049000 Um,
0: I couldn't do that.
1: No, to live in a place where it's not even like, you know, somebody was killed there, but the torture right. that took place.
0: Right. Or not like, like we know people have died where we are right now. Yeah. But it's a completely different thing than having them tortured and like not in like several women. Yeah. Just bad, bad, bad things. Yeah, I don't. I don't think I could do that. Mm-mm. Um,
1: that's pretty much it.
0: And I feel like not a ton of people know about this. Like, no. as, and especially like even here in Grand Rapids. Yeah. So I was telling my stepdad, my stepdad about it mm-hmm. before I left, and he was like, he'd not heard of it before.
1: we well, see. And I mean, my parents know about it because they
0: they know Brooks.
1: They know brooke's dad right they're friends with him so please be
0: careful on the internet yeah it's
1: a scary place there are scary (sighs) scary people have you ever watched that show um undercover underage
0: yes we talked about this (sighs) it is
1: it's sickening
0: it's it's sickening it's such a good show though
1: it is and it that's what i mean is it's you know there are people that don't agree with um like the morality behind true crime podcasts. But if you think about it, it's all around us. We watch the news and they're reporting on true crime cases. We watch shows like that, Undercover Underage, and they're reporting on these awful, terrible things. There's a reason that people are drawn to watch those things. And I feel like a lot of it is to understand, not just to understand ourselves as people, but like to understand... How we can keep ourselves and our family safe, right? Yeah, and I think because that the more you know, yeah, and I've I've heard too. There's a theory that the reason that women are more drawn to true crime is because it's it's almost like our power over it in a way,
0: right? Like because we are so because targeted, we, exactly that we can be as knowledgeable as we can to mm-hmm. try to combat anything happen to us or our friends or our family or just whatever girls, women are out there.
1: Yeah. I don't know. I just, I think it's interesting, but I, I think cases like Brooks can really, I, I see myself in her. Mm-hmm. I see 17 year old me being in situations like that. And it's scary to think about and people don't ever think that it can happen to them.
0: I never thought anything i mean no you know you're that age and you're like
1: i'm on top of the world yeah you don't you're invincible you don't ever think you're gonna die but anything
0: bad can happen yeah like i I don't know
1: (sighs) but i think it's just that that naivety that's you know built into us and unfortunately sometimes um
0: people will take advantage yeah yeah, it's really sick.
1: It is. Um, so that is the case of Brooks Slocum and Charlie Openear.
0: Please educate your children.
1: Yeah, know the dangers of being online. Yeah, it's very.
0: And I feel like it's only getting worse. Like
1: it is because there's there's so many. More avenues that can and I feel be like taken. Being and,
0: addicted to your phone is so like normalized now. Yeah. That so many. Absolutely. Younger people, especially, are just like that's. The and one. and the
1: thing I mean, the internet and uh, having cell phones and stuff has brought us really amazing things that are are. Um, it's a tool. Able and to keep us safe yeah. and. Whatever, but it's also, but it can be a really dangerous and scary place.
0: And it doesn't, it can, like, not seem like it.
1: Right. If you're not careful.
0: Right. It's like.
1: I just, oh my God. I just saw this TikTok where it's a guy who basically explains, um, he explains, like, these really morbid videos so that you don't have the curiosity to go and watch it and like traumatize yourself, right? And he talks about a lot of things on like the dark web and whatever because Mm -hmm. it's not safe to access these sites because people can like bug your computer and stuff. Right. And so he's talking about this site that he calls a bait and switch, which is basically like you go to the site for one reason, but then it's actually the complete opposite and it switches on you So he's talking about this site and he's saying the site is called like something about women's empowerment. And you go to the page and there's a button for you to click to enter. But before you do, it says, you know, like uh, this website shares stories of women's empowerment and this may offend some people. And there may be topics that are more sensitive and blah, blah, blah. And then once you hit enter, Something I don't know. I don't know how this works. I'm not very great with technology, but something like gets into your computer and forces it into full screen and turns your volume all the way up, and you're not able to exit. And it's just videos of women being tortured and raped, and uh, he was saying like even like diseases affecting women, stuff like this. So it's like the complete opposite. These are people that are genuinely going to this website to hear stories about women empowerment and then when they enter it they're accessing these awful scarring videos and that's i mean it's fun. it's such a it's such a scary thing that i don't know it's the internet is a scary place very Well, it's frustrating in Brooke's case because a lot of people are very quick to victim blame and to say that, you know, she should have known that this was going to happen. She's putting herself in these dangerous situations, meeting strangers online and blah, blah, blah. But I feel like anyone who has been a normal 17-year-old girl should understand I look back now at scenarios of 17-year-old me. Yeah. The places that I was going and the people I was um, putting myself out there with. it
0: could have been you.
1: Yes. Oh, my God. There's so many times it could have been me. Yeah. Like, you cannot blame somebody.
0: Right. And, like, what if it was your daughter? Right. Are you going to say that?
1: Well, it it doesn't. It shouldn't even have to matter if it's somebody that's related to you. It's a human being, but and I understand what you're saying. Unfortunately, we have to sometimes with people. People people lack empathy. They can't imagine it happening to them or somebody they know. Right, exactly. But it's just like obviously there are things that we can do to keep ourselves safe. But there are also things that are out of our control, mm-hmm. and you cannot make decisions for other people.
0: And at the end of the day, you know, obviously she didn't make some of the best choices, but ultimately, Brady, like...
1: Brady, yeah, he's responsible he is, for all he of this.
0: Is the, he's the fucking worst. Yeah. You're just luring desperate people, mm-hmm. and then fucking murdering and torturing and raping and doing just awful awful things then there is no way that anyone could blame brooke no for
1: no she was put in a in a desperate situation i think she was (laughs) manipulated
0: yeah absolutely
1: and And probably felt like she didn't have much of a choice
0: right and and um. You know, I I don't know how true this is, but I heard that she took her parents' divorce really hard, mm. and that made her want to try the absolute hardest that she could to make her relationship work, work no matter what, so that she wouldn't do to Audie what was done to her.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: It's just, it's, there's just so much. It's so deep and it's not her fault.
1: No, it's not. Well, I guess we'll close it out. I hope you guys stay safe out there. Mm -hmm. We appreciate you being here. Thank you for all of your love and support always. And remember to always keep keep
0: it spooky. spooky.